Boy, this may be confession time. I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to the Fire and Bones podcast, the conversation between two pastors over the text we are preaching this week. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it, most of all, share this podcast with a pastor you know might benefit from it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. So here's my question. How many times in a given year would you say you rewrite your whole sermon on Saturday? You get through the week. You've kind of got a direction. You've got a sermon being prepared. And then Saturday you see something and you totally redo everything you had planned so far. I I remember doing that once. I I would say that I I yeah in the, here but here's the reason why like I'm not that's not to say like my sermon's so good that <laughs> uh, that I never have to rewrite it that's not that's not what that's that's what I mean that is to say that if I get there and it's really bad then I'm like well I got to preach next week too so. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is kind of like this is just going to be the meal that's like uh, mac and cheese and leftovers, uh, and then yeah. we'll we'll try to have a better meal next time we sit down. Is that what yeah. you're saying? I'm I'm just letting y'all know I'm reheating this. Yeah. So. <laughs> but I did it in the air fryer, so you know it's going to taste a little <laughs> the better. Air then. fryer. <laughs> do you guys have an air fryer? We do. Yes. Do you use it a lot? Do you like it? Uh, I I love it. Andrea cannot stand it. What she because apparently ours has like this weird smell. Okay, but I'm I like live permanently in allergies apparently, and I, I don't really smell all the things that she does, mm. and so it doesn't bother me at all. But um, it reheats um food amazingly. I mean, mm. you know, like even cold chicken strips and stuff like that, you can put them in there huh. and they crisp up and it's awesome. It's, it's incredible. I love it. Okay. It cooks the chicken. Like I put raw chicken in there and like chicken strips, you know? Yeah. And right now we're, we're in the middle of whole 30. So mm. it, mm. it, it cooks them amazingly well. Mm. But anyway, yes. So mm. I, you know, I, 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 I think in the times where I've had to do that, it's always been, um, you know, I totally missed the point entirely on the text, and I just mm-hmm. now realized it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, I mean, when you study a text all week, it, that's, you know, pretty rare that that would happen. Yeah, It's rarely out of frustration over just the way I've crafted the sermon. I'm usually thinking, okay, even if I don't like that, I'll I'll fix it on the fly. Right. And I'll explain things on the fly and things like that that I, I can kind of do as I'm preaching and thinking yeah but apparently you did that this weekend whoa right? whoa whoa i did what what <laughs> which of those things that you just described do you th- do you think i did <laughs> get get to saturday night and realize i have no idea what this passage is about 
no, 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 no. But but yeah, because I listened. I listened to your sermon. Okay. I listened to it on uh, maybe Tuesday. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was good. And I, I you had kind of said, uh, I think you had said something like, you know, I had to rewrite it was terrible or something like that. And I don't remember thinking that at all. I thought it was a really impassioned plea for, uh, you know, for evangelism for mm-hmm. one. But what the the text of Revelation actually brings to bear on our even, you know, thought of tribulation and um, and and how that relates to evangelism and things. And I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, I, I kind of felt like you were sort of there on Thursday mm-hmm. when we normally record the podcast. So, I, yeah. you know, I, I didn't know what all had changed or whether you just didn't like your phrasing uh, and wording and stuff like that or what. Well, I, I think because there's there's nothing in the passage that tells us to go evangelize. Um, so I, I think I made what I'm going to call some pastoral choices in this text to say this this text is implying that this is happening. And I'm going to actually preach on that implication this week, uh, which is what I did. So I prepared the sermon, and as I got closer, I just I just kept having this nagging feeling uh, that, uh, which be careful with feelings when you're preparing to preach. But I, just, I, I think I had this, urge to for us to join in what John was experiencing when he was on the island of Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus and how specific that was. So I didn't really totally rewrite. Basically, I just punted most of last week's sermon to this coming week, and I honed in on a very, very specific, I kind of zoomed in to a very specific part of the text, um, and then I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach the same text next week, um, but focus on the vision of Christ. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. I, I, you know, when I listened to it, I thought you making this statement uh, when you read about Christ and the picture that, that's there of Christ. Is this the picture that you have of Christ? Um, I thought that was a really powerful question, but. You know, even before that, uh, would your because of your life, w- are you in any danger of tribulation? Mm. You know, is a is a is sort of a terrifying question mm-hmm. when it comes to evangelism. Mm-hmm. Uh, do if if the world was really dark today, and it was, you know, w- the church in America, we were which it is really dark, mm-hmm. but the church in America was under the kind of persecution that they were under in. Rome, let's say, uh, would you be in danger of being thrown into prison because of your lifestyle mm-hmm. and because of the way you evangelize? Mm-hmm. And you know, even even just being able to, sometimes you have to zoom back, mm-hmm. I think, and 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 realize. I mean, that is what's going on in the text mm-hmm. to some degree. You know, it's not like it's that far from the text. I understand what you mean yeah. by a pastoral decision. Yeah, that that is, uh, we have to just consider for a moment John's on the Isle of Patmos and he's there for a reason and that reason is because his life was seen as a threat to uh, the government and a nuisance right. maybe it maybe a nuisance is a better word right you know they might they might describe it more as a nuisance than anything else right but I, I mean 
it would be very difficult. You know, even for me, I'm sitting there in a grocery store listening to your sermon, and I'm, you know, kind of have to pause and grab him the Brussels sprouts and thinking, <laughs> uh, I don't, am I a nuisance? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I'm a nuisance to my wife when I use the air fryer, <laughs> but, uh, but <laughs> I don't know that I'm a nuisance to the, the, you know, the federal government or to, right. well, whatever, my neighbor or, right. you know, people like that when in sharing the gospel. And I know you weren't saying that you should try to be a nuisance or anything right. like that, but that your sharing of the gospel should be antagonistic in, in, to a degree in the sense that people are, you know, you, that's what's constantly in your mouth, and that's constantly on the for, forefront of your mind. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I, I think the more I thought about the fact that John calls the church's partners in the tribulation and the kingdom and the endurance, that he's imagining partnership on account of the word and the testimony of Jesus, that that's that they're in this together, that they're doing the same thing, they're they're receiving the the same kind of social pushback as he is, because they're doing the same thing that he is. And I just started thinking about my church, and I started thinking about the way people handle the Book of Revelation, and I thought that that's when it hit me. This if if we're not doing what John is doing. If we're not experiencing that at all, any pushback because the gospel comes out of our mouths, then then those two options that I I put forward, you know, either revelations can be really boring to you because it's going to mean it's going to seem like overkill. It's you know who wh- this is this is a little bit much. Life's not that bad, or you're going to be really excited about all the revelationy things, all the end times schemes and things like that. Mm-hmm. So. Which is not very different from what I think I said maybe in my introduction, but it it comes to bear more on my personal participation in this and what Revelation has for me. So basically, what what you heard the um, the moment where I stopped and said, "Does this vision of Jesus like what you had?" I'm going to spend this week just doing the biblical theology of that vision of Christ. And just holding it up and saying, let's look, let's turn this diamond around every facet and, and look at every side and, and see Christ in, in all his glory, which is what I think John's trying to do there, what he, what he saw yeah. and what he's trying to communicate. Yeah. How did the people receive it? Good. Um, I've got, I got some good feedback, um, you know, several sharing. They felt personally convicted. Um, you know, had some conversation with small group this week that I think came out of that uh, about different people praying for people that they were sharing the gospel with this week. Um, so I'm thankful for that. It's always it's always good when you when you preach it, you have an application, and you get to talk to someone in your church who says, "I'm doing that thing today." Uh, yeah. So it's it's good. Uh, I I don't know. I too I I think it's I think it was a helpful message for me. Just coming out of COVID, um, I say coming out. We're we're looking at the at the end here. Hopefully, um, yeah. Here in Austin, <laughs> yeah, you got we, a long way to go. <laughs> we are in. We're still in the. We're still in it. Um, but it it it's so easy just to get down into kind of a preservation lifestyle and a. You know, we're constantly managing. Ri- I mean, COVID has just been about managing risks all the time. 
personal risk, friendship risks. You know, do I wear a mask? Do I offend? Uh, you know, do we go out? I mean, just good grief. It's so much about protection. Um, and so it was just good to, for me to hear my own self in the text and to preach, to do something risky, you know? And I think that's what Revelation is empowering us to keep doing, uh, is keep taking risks for the gospel. So, so do, you, do you think, and not to get too much into the COVID weeds here, but do you think that COVID has made us, uh, I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, cowards? Yeah, I don't, I mean, not any... Or maybe exposed our cowardice. Maybe just exposed our apathy, I think. Um, I think what churches are experiencing, s- some churches, um, is just kind of a spiritual lethargy. Um, we can't be around each other as easily. When we do, it's awkward. Um, you know, our, our church right now, uh, as we sit at the end of March, maybe half of our members are gathering. Um, on Sundays, uh, and the rest are still mm. trying to be careful. Um, and, and we feel that. Like, that that affects, you know, on Sunday was one of the times, one of the two or three times this year when I felt like our singing filled up our space. And yeah. just, I couldn't get words out. I was just so emotionally moved and helped by us singing loudly. Um, so I was really thankful for that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know about ca- cowardice. Sure, I'll call it that. Um, but I think just general spiritual lethargy about gathering, about discipleship, about speaking the truth in love, about personal devotion. I mean, I, I could go on. I just think it's a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I had heard of a, a member last night told me that uh, they had, when the, the storm came, we had a, another tornado storm come through Mm -hmm. a few days ago and um they had some of their you know students gather in their house and one that they've been sharing the gospel with for a long time is now starting to ask questions about salvation and um how to be saved and so it's it it was incredibly encouraging i I just realized last night how absent that was Mm. for so long Mm -hmm. you know because we're just now coming out of this pandemic and you know, we were getting to the point before, uh, before COVID, where people were, you know, every Wednesday night, typically we share prayer requests. And mm-hmm. One of the big requests that I always ask for to share is, you know, who are you sharing the gospel with? Who can we pray for? You know, we'll, uh, we'll hear and we'll receive the gospel. And so people would pray for their relatives, or but mostly people were praying for their friends that they'd met and people that they would meet. You know fortuitously in the park mm-hmm. or, or wherever and um and so for the last like year plus that's just been mm-hmm. absent yeah you know because everybody's been just locked in their homes yeah yeah and uh and so it's been really difficult in on that front but i think we've kind of seen the the metal of the church mm. you know to some degree mm-hmm. where you see some people leave or some people wane or some people kind of fall away mm-hmm. and um and and neglect, you know, regular spiritual disciplines and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and you see it in your own life. Yeah, like your I, own, I was going to say. You know, guilty of lethargy and being, yeah, you know. I get it. Um, I, yeah, when we, totally. so we, we, back in March of 2020, we went, uh, we, we closed services, went totally online. 
and then started services in person again at the end of May. So two and a half months of totally online only. And even just that, sh what, what now feels like a short time, two and a half months, uh, going from online to in person, I had to kind of, I felt like trying to start one of those old cars. You know what, you're, you've got the crank at the mm -hmm. front and you're trying to make it go again. Like it felt like yeah. getting into something I hadn't been in for a long time and it was just a few weeks. And we had members at our church uh, two weeks ago who have not gathered with the church for a year. And we still have some that haven't been back um, just due to health risk and uh, you know, trying to make wise decisions for their family and loved ones and people who are sick already mm. and, and different things. But I just thought, man, that's a year, a year. It's yeah. who who would have thought, and it's still unfathomable. Um, and I, I think it makes me sick that I think we are, it has so quickly felt normal. It has so quickly come to be just kind of how things are. I think that's really dangerous, not only for evangelism, but for just walking in daily habits of grace. Yeah. And when you hear, you know, people, I don't know if you hear this, but I've heard this before in, in our churches, just people that are really comfortable with watching it on TV mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the live stream. And, you know, I've told people from the beginning, there will be a day when the live stream ends. Yeah. And I'm not interested in being a live streaming pastor. And, yeah. um, and I, I think it, it kind of meet people with like a question of like, why, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and I explain it as best I can, but really they just need to be a part of the conversations where the person comes up to you and goes, look, watching it on TV is awesome. Yeah. And that's when you're like, yeah, and I'm going to cut it off because yeah. <laughs> that is, that's not church, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, we, we need to be gathered. Uh, but yeah, you realize like when the voices are missing, we went acapella the other day mm. and for, a, a, this is a few weeks ago mm -hmm. for, I think it was like, holy, holy, holy. And to hear the entire congregation sing, holy, holy, holy was a just, it's just gr gripping, it's edifying and it's, you know, it's good. You know, mm -hmm. it's a it's a good thing to hear. Yeah, that's our and our our people are the worship team. I mean, are we gonna have this discussion? We're we gonna have this discussion another day because that's a big discussion. I I feel like we have intentionally and in some ways by the worship team the Lord has provided us, we are we're we're pretty light on what happens on the stage. We don't have drums. Mm. Um, uh, we're our our people. We're it. And that's partly by design. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, we're heading in that direction. Half, half, so. <laughs> half our worship team isn't even there right now on Sundays uh, in person. Uh, that's how I'm thinking about it. So, but anyway. We, uh, you, we, um, we do have, you know, some instruments, but, you know, we're our, the guy who's leading our music is about to step away and, uh, and, and move actually. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we're going to have to, we're going to be a back to a small crew, you know, up there of volunteers that where we're just going to uh, see what we get from week in to week out. Yep. But it, I think it's going to be even more important than, and it'll give us a new focus, I think a renewed focus yeah. of, go, of hearing the voices in the congregation mm -hmm. much more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good thing. 
you know, anytime you can yeah. do that. Cause I, I was told one time and I've always been told this by like kind of the traditional sort of music leaders and things is like, you know, you've got to turn the music up because people won't sing if it's not loud. Mm. And I always, I always want to ask, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know they're singing yeah. if it's so loud you can't hear anybody? And yeah. what I've always experienced is when the instruments drop out and you hear the sound of the congregation singing, yeah. there's something about that. I mean, you see it in Colossians of the just the edification that singing has the body yeah. singing together yeah. has toward one another. Yeah, we, we actually uplifting. we introduced a new song, and I can't remember the name of it right now for the life of me. Um, but two or three weeks ago, we introduced a new song. Our worship leader had found it, and <clears throat> it was so easy to pick up that he just went a cappella like the third time we sang the chorus, and this is the first time we've ever heard the song, and we just sang it. Like it was our, like it was our old favorite. Uh, it was really sweet. So now it's kind of like, well, that's that's one of our songs now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So um, that I that to shift gears just a little bit from and kind of maybe even going back to the beginning of how we started this. Um, how late in the process are you editing your sermon, or are you even writing your sermon? How late in the process am I editing? Do you mean how far along in the process am I still changing things? or Like, so you've got to preach it Sunday morning at 10.30. Right. Or you got to be, that's the bottom deadline of, you know, when you've got to have your sermon done. I mean, how, service starts how at, close up to that are you, are you <laughs> service Service starts at right. 10.30. I usually preach at between 12 and 10 after 12. So I'd say at eleven fifty nine. You mean eleven and ten after eleven? Yeah, I mean like right? the moments yeah, before yeah. I preach in the service, I can still be. Sometimes I will add mentally, mentally, and I've got my Apple pencil, and I'm I could be making uh, I could mark on my PDF uh, that mm -hmm. I preach from. I sometimes I'll write. You know, we we try to frame our songs around the theme of the day. Uh, mm -hmm. So if it's Jesus is King this week, we'll sing songs about Jesus being King. Um, so sometimes we'll have just sung a song and I will go, man, that is even more profoundly in line with this text than I even realized. And so I'll jot those down and in my sermon with that uh, or something or, or mention that somewhere or, or add a verse from our gospel reading even. I mean, just... Think things like that. I don't know, so I I never really stop until I I preach it. But typically, um, Sunday morning I will I will still be putting some final thoughts together, and I do a manuscript. So every mm. pretty much every word I'm going to say gets on paper. Um, I will hardly ever have uh, just a note that says talk about this. Um, so, yeah, kind of on into Sunday morning, but typically by Friday, Friday is my main sermon finishing day. Typically by Friday when I go home, I'll, I'll know where I'm going. I'll have a lot written out. Um, Saturday evening, might give it a little bit of time. 
before I go to bed. I'm usually going to bed after my wife on Saturday night looking at it, uh, moving things around, adding to it. Uh, but at that point, it's final arrangement. It's all there. Um, I'm just preparing to preach it. So yeah, Friday probably is my day when I'm mostly done forming it, and I'll kind of tinker right up until I preach it. Yeah, I, I. What about you? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if. Um, boy, this may be confession time. I don't. Know. <laughs> 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 um. You know, I, I, I so. Right now, as we sit here right now, it's Thursday at 9.30 a.m., mm-hmm. and uh, I have my entire sermon. I do. I fill out a, a what's, what I refer to as a Simeon Trust worksheet. Mm-hmm. Simeon Trust is just a, a basically a organization that helps preachers really get to the point of the text. We should probably know and that so byline. They, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some byline. There, there's clever, some way sure, they say it. They, it's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but they have a little worksheet that you can print out, and I I once going to the workshop, um, one time I, I started doing that, making a habit of doing that every sermon, and so uh, I start off on you know probably Tuesday or Wednesday, I open a blank document up, and then I read the text and reread and reread and reread and study, and I'll probably usually print off the text mm-hmm. and then just make pen notes to it of just like this makes sense here what is he saying here and just kind of little notes out in the margins until I figure out okay what it is and then I'll start filling in the worksheet which basically just has a lot of like you know context what is the context what is the surrounding passage what references does he make to other books things like that and then what's the structure how did the author break it down and things and then eventually what is the author's aim of the text and um, and then how does that connect to the gospel and then what will you conclude to your audience and then what is your teaching outline and I'll have most I'll have, right as I sit here right now I have all that whole worksheet filled out and I have an outline for how I'm going to teach it and everything and so that outline I could by the time I get to you know Saturday I could preach from that outline if I had to mm-hmm. uh, without any manuscript mm-hmm. and so I feel a lot less pressure about putting words down on a page mm-hmm. Uh, as much as I do knowing the flow of the text and knowing mentally where I'm going to go and where I'm going to land with uh, the passage. And so I think, you know, I'll, I'll, before I leave the office today, I'll probably have typically a manuscript for me would be like, I don't know, 3,500 words. Mm -hmm. And I'll probably have 1,500, my guess would be done by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And then I may not touch it at all Friday Mm -hmm. and Saturday afternoon evening I'll come back to it and I'll add some more until I get to you know roughly 2,500 words or so and um, depending on how I feel about it at that point I may put it up Mm -hmm. and walk into the office at six o'clock on Sunday morning and write out the rest of what I was going to say you know knowing that if something happened and the power went out and there was a catastrophe and everything, mm-hmm. you know, the whole world shut down, I couldn't get to a computer mm-hmm. until 1030 when it was time to go into the service, mm-hmm. I would be fine. Mm-hmm. I could stand up there and preach it fine. Yeah. But it's 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 the writing it out and the manuscript that I feel less pressure to, to actually do and, and to write out. And so I'll be in there, you know, on Sunday morning still 
putting thoughts on paper. Yeah, there's and, a, there's and a, then I rehearse it and all those kinds of things before I actually deliver it. Okay, so you when you say rehearse it, you mean you preach it out to yourself in the office? Yep. Out loud. Out loud. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Do you not? No. The only time those words will ever be heard are the moment that I actually preach it. I've um, never man, done that. I, so I, I am an auditory learner, uh-huh. and I had to learn this. This was years ago when I worked for Apple, but I, I learned. I am an auditory learner, and I learn best through taking things through my ears. That includes what I'm going to say. <laughs> so as odd as that sounds, that sounds so crazy. Yeah. But Andrea will tell you that when I'm going to have a really tense conversation with somebody or when I'm going to, you know, when something's really important, I'm going to sit down with her and I'm going to talk about what I'm going to say. Half the things that I say to her, I'm never going to say. <laughs> and she knows that. And by now, she knows that. She used to like correct me and be like, don't say that, don't say that. And I'm like, just let me talk it out, you know? And so then, so I talk it out. And then when I hear my own voice say it, then it either makes sense or it doesn't make sense. And so I either scratch it out or may add, or I may change some stuff there with just a pen on the manuscript when I'm preaching it out loud. But it also helps me to know where I'm going yeah. and to remember where I'm going. It's like yeah. audi- audio cues. It creates kind of a, a, a melodic rhythm that you remember and kind of step back into when you actually preach it. Right. Yeah. But then, you know, I, I think too, and, and I've come to know this, over the course of just being a pastor, mm-hmm. I think, and, and preaching regularly, is that something happens to you in the pulpit that's really just difficult to explain. Yeah. Um, and where, uh, other than just, you know, this the Spirit being there in preaching, um, that, you know, I, I don't know what it, what it really is, but that some things that perhaps were not, stated clearly in my office or even stated clearly in my manuscript mm-hmm. they they become crystal clear in my mind mm-hmm. I, it's really hard to explain but mm-hmm. but kind of crystal clear in my mind and i and i i it's like you're almost giving it to the people and i was explaining this to you know our associate pastor who's still learning you know preaching and things like that and and i um you know i was telling him that that there is a there, it's a there's a give and take when you're teaching and I think may, even when you're called to teach the church is that you you understand as you look out across the congregation, you can see where it's making sense and where it's not making sense, and you, you can clarify along the way. Did, I don't, am I making sense? I don't know if that yeah. even helps at all. I mean, there's been times when I've looked at my own heading for a point and looked at it and thought, I don't like that. I'm going to say it just like this instead in the pulpit. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think some of that is just and public it, speaking. You know, I think some of it is, probably yeah. politicians do the same thing. Um, sure. So it's not it's not only that it's like, ooh, this is the spirit speaking on our behalf. Um, yeah, but that but the giftedness to teach yeah. comes in many forms. Sure, I mean, the, the spirit the spirit gifts a a pastor to teach yeah. and to preach, uh, and I think Paul's pretty clear about that. But but that is, it seems, for the spiritual edification, nourishment, and change of the body. Mm-hmm. Whereas a politician can get up there, and though he may be a gifted communicator, mm-hmm. 
um, that's entirely different than being able to nourish the body of Christ mm-hmm. with the word. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so, you know, so there's the general gift of, of teaching, which that's kind of more what I'm talking about is that when you have that, uh, giftedness to teach, yeah. there, there's a, there's a rapport or a sense that you get with the congregation or the people that you're teaching right. and you can, you understand where it's falling and where it's, it's totally missing, I think. And, yeah. and so that's, um, you know, that can be really helpful, uh, uh, you know, I think. So I, so I feel a lot less pressure now, especially when I first started. And when I first started, I, I felt I had to get every single word mm. out on the paper, yeah. every single thing. If I was going to tell a story that I've known and that that is, you know, written on the back of my hand, you know, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I have to write down every you know, comma and everything about that story. And now I feel a lot less pressure to do that. So knowing that when I get up there, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to t- say it. So I want to ask you about your text that's coming up week, but I want to ask you this about preparing. I ha- I want to maybe get back another week to your, to the, the pastor's preaching week or the, the preparation mm-hmm. to preach in the week, how you think about it, how mm-hmm. much, how often, um, do you feel really comfortable in the pulpit every Sunday? Like you could just get up and talk about this. Um, do you feel that way, or do you generally feel uh, I don't know any, anything else? And does that affect the way I, that you prepare your notes? It, to some extent, yeah, it does. I I, I I feel really comfortable in front of our people. Yeah, and we, I work, um, you know, week in and week out to help people understand that this is a living room and we are a family. This is not a stage and this is not a performance. And so there are hiccups and things like that along the way. There's babies crying and there are people that, you know, get up and leave because they got to go to the bathroom or take their kid to the bathroom or whatever. And that's just the way it is with a family. And we just, we just, you know, get over that. And so because of that, there's a comfort level for me, standing up there behind the pulpit to say, you know, I'm in front of family members right. here, yeah, and um, and so w- I really want to deal with family business. Yeah. Some of y'all got problems with other people. Some <laughs> of y'all, you know, I mean, it's you know, it's it's a family. It's a yeah. typical family stuff, you know, and we, we're dealing with family yeah. issues, and we're wanting to, we're seeking to, you know, grow, admonish, encourage the body through the word. Yeah, and so that brings with it a certain comfort level yeah. of just going, you know, I'm just, I know the point of this text and I'm just going to give it to you. Yeah. And if I can just do that, then I trust that the word will do the work. Yeah. The, God's going to do that formation, you know, through his word. And so it can go out and I can be okay. It doesn't have to be super clean or polished or it doesn't have to be pristine. I don't have to keep every eye on me the whole time. Yeah. It's okay. It's gonna be fine. Yeah, you know. I was, and so there's a comfort level that I think that comes with that. I was told in a um, a religion class in the university that you and I both went to that if I use a manuscript, then I should not be a preacher because I'm not trusting the Holy Spirit when I preach. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think about that? Yeah. So. That would indicate that the Holy Spirit's not in the preparation, yeah. which is asinine, yeah. I think, to begin with. But second, uh, I think 
I heard H.P. Charles say this one time, and I, I totally agree with him, that my agenda in writing the manuscript is to write myself clear. Yeah. Know, knowing that the first time I say something, it's it may not be clear, which is sort of dangerous to do a podcast, I guess. But, <laughs> but <laughs> 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 And one of the reasons why I like long-form podcasts, because you could correct yourself, but, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, that's the process of writing the the manuscript is that you you write yourself clear and that by the end you start to clarify some things that you hadn't really thought of before and i'll tell you this when i when i i, I may sit down with a you know a portion of the text and i go this is what the author is saying here this is a summary of what he's saying that's my point right, right? right. and then i start writing it out and i start showing how he's making that point in the verses as I'm writing it out in my manuscript and and the thought hits me oh, he's not saying that mm-hmm. he's he's saying this yeah and I, and I end up changing the point because of what I've just written well if I just get up there knowing the point and I, I get up there you know how much should I prepare where, where is the line of preparation then right if I can't write it out, where is the line of preparation? Oh, well, you looked at the text. Well, now you're really not trusting the Spirit yeah. to, to lead you. Yeah. Well, okay, well, you look. You can look at the text, and you can know the Greek, and you can do all of this, but but if you if you go to the point of actually summarizing his words in a statement, oh, that's too much preparation. Where's the line, yeah. you know, before you're not trusting the Spirit anymore? Yeah. I'm trusting that the Spirit's with me in my office when I ask the Spirit, help me understand this text, <laughs> you know, and put it down on the page. Yeah, and I, I think, too, like, I, that's where I come from when I'm writing my manuscripts is, you know, I've been trusting the Spirit all week. Am I almost like putting the Spirit on call saying, hey, you got to, I'm expecting you to do this right now. I, I don't know, but I, I'm actually myself really comfortable and that at times I, I already am trying typically to cut my sermon short short and make it succinct it's easier to preach a long sermon than a short sermon and if I'm not careful I'll just I'll just go on and so manuscript actually kind of reins me in where I'm going to say this much in this succinctness in these words and sometimes there are things that I want to say that I want to say it exactly like this, not kind of my paraphrase of what I thought in my notes. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, yeah. Depends. I mean, the, the, to me, to me, the trusting of the Spirit in preaching is not necessarily trusting Him to help me make sense of the text in my own mind. That's the preparation. That's what happens during the week. Right, right. Me, me, my prayer to the Spirit in His help in preaching is that the words that I speak, they might be the most powerful words I've ever written mm-hmm. on the page, mm-hmm. and they will fall on deaf ears and hard hearts unless the Spirit does a work mm-hmm. in the people to receive it. Yeah. And so the dynamics of preaching and the Spirit's power and help when you're standing in the pulpit is in that. Yeah. Your your not only your communication of the word, most of that he's done in the office during the week yeah. to helping you prepare it. It's the opening of the ears of all of us yeah. and the heart yeah. and the mind. And even for me, as I'm preaching, yeah. that I would hear something and be like, you know, I just thought now I'd, I'd you know, 
I probably need to repent of that or, or, or <laughs> you know, or that's encouraging to me. You know, I mean, I, like yeah. I've had that happen before. I, I think something. this yeah. explains why I get random amens, what, what I think are random amens in my sermon. Because I'm definitely, I definitely they're from your wife. <laughs> no, no, I I definitely don't think that sermons should be like political speeches, where you're 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 building to a crescendo where everyone stands up and claps and everyone is on cue and they that you just you preach and your sermon might have a, a climax and kind of a rise and a fall and a resolution, but but not like that, not in a um in a gimmicky way where I'm trying to, to get a rise out of you. So sometimes I'll be preaching and I'll, I'll be thinking, this is not the main point. This is not, um, I'm, I'm kind of getting somewhere, right? I'm building my case for my main point and I'll just get an amen from someone. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, wait, mm-hmm. wait a second. I, I am not there yet. If you think that was awesome, wait, wait till we get yeah. to the point in just yeah. a minute. Yeah. And I just think sometimes that just helps me know going I'm I'm always preaching up here. I'm never just filling in space. Um and the word of God, I think when it's exposed, it just you never know what's uh going I was preaching a few uh weeks ago for a friend in a uh, out of town and um preached a sermon from 1 Samuel and a guy came up to me after the sermon and said, this is how this affected me today. And I couldn't in a million years imagine that connection. It was, it seemed helpful to him, and it, it did have a connection. But I would have never, I would have never made that. So yeah. it's like you just, you preach the word, you say what the word says, and you do it on fire, and you let the spirit do whatever he will. Yeah. What's your d- and I think that's the, you know, that's the kind of the impetus, obviously, behind part of the, the naming of the podcast, Fire and Bones, is that y- you you realize I, I need a fire yeah. in my bones yeah. to, to preach. Yep. But then also the preaching of the word is fire. And, you know, and that's what you want anyway. And you realize that the people in the congregation are you know, to some degree bones and the spirits putting, yeah. you know, flesh on the bones as they're, as they're being yeah. kind of enlivened and, and resurrected with the preaching of the gospel. So here's, here's a little yeah. teaser. I found uh, by accident today a quote I'm gonna, that I'll, I'll close with later. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, Fire and Bones mm. in Lectures to My Students. Mm. But we'll get, oh, there. We'll get there later. I'm, I'm excited yeah. about that. All right. Okay, so good you're deal. preaching this week. What's your text? Give us the, the rundown. Matthew 23, 13 to 36, which is one of the bigger passages I've ever preached. It's um, the woe passages, the woe passage from Matthew, where Jesus gives seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites uh, seven times. He calls them blind five times. He uh, basically pulls no punches, and he goes right after them. You know, before this, obviously, we had several parables where he had he had criticized the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, the religious leaders, which, which ended in them being excluded from the kingdom of heaven. And then mm-hmm. they posed to him three questions to try to trap him, mm-hmm. which didn't work. It only trapped themselves. And then he asked them one question, and they they couldn't answer it. And so uh, now he goes on, and he's told his disciples in the previous passage to not be like the scribes and Pharisees. And now he turns 
to the scribes and Pharisees and just with seven woes gives them, tells them exactly why they're going to hell. And then, then he laments over the city of Jerusalem in the following passage, which is going to be our Easter sermon passage, hmm. Easter Sunday passage. Okay, so um, that's I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna jump in before I forget this. So okay. he laments. That's a that's a tone, that's a mood, that's a the response of Christ uh, coming up. How I'm curious to think how how was your reading already in this week? What's your tone? Because Jesus is, it's really, I think this is a passage that's really easy to pick up like a baseball bat and just start hitting. Uh, you know, it's it's a, it could be easily angrily preached. Um, I thought you did a great job last week of dealing with the Pharisees and the, um, the, the audience and what they were thinking and feeling and landing there so how do you plan to do you feel that temptation to pick this up and be like y'all don't be like pharisees now and actually make pharisees (laughs) yeah uh yeah but i i want i i want to help communicate that what jesus is saying is condemnation that's very clear Mm -hmm. And that's probably the clearest of things. Right. But the passage that follows this casts light, casts a shadow across the woes. Mm-hmm. Because you realize that he's saying the words of condemnation out of a deep sense of anguish. Mm. Like s- sadness. Yeah. Over, over what they are. Right. And the fact that they have kind of hitched their wagons to the Israel before that killed the prophets and, you know, made the righteous person obscure in the land. And I think that the, the deep sense of sadness weaves its way all the way through this book, even back to the very beginning of the book, which, you know, the Magi come to Jerusalem and they tell Herod that there's one who's been born King of the Jews Hmm. And it said, and Matthew tells us, Herod was upset in all Jerusalem with him. Mm -hmm. What business does Jerusalem have being upset that the Messiah is born? Mm -hmm. They don't. But here Mm -hmm. we get to it in 23. They are. They're incredibly upset that the the Messiah is here because it's an end to their power and to their holding sway over people. Mm -hmm. And, um, and and Jesus is on the one hand condemning them with fire. I mean, absolute. Mm-hmm. There is he doesn't pull any punches, and or maybe he does pull punches, and we you know yeah. we we you know we don't know how bad it would have been yeah. you know. Uh, but but he he doesn't seem to pull any punches, and yet when he gets to the end, it's lamentation, it's a grief that he's saying this, yeah, and d- a deep sense of sadness, and and. There's no reason why you shouldn't read 37, and of course I'm not there yet, I'll, I'll be there next week, but 37 to 39, why we shouldn't read that as true, genuine feelings over the nation of Israel, as a, the unbelieving nation of Israel as a whole, Jerusalem in particular, and the, the leadership in particular, so, of saying, I, I wish it were different. So know, the, word, the word woe itself... Is that a funeral word? I think I remember hearing that. Is that right, or am I just remembering wrong? 
you're going to have to tell me what you just said. <laughs> the word woe itself. Yeah. Is that a funeral word? Is that a sorrow word? Is that a judgment is coming word? Uh, as far as I know, it's a judgment is coming word. Um, it's like pain is coming to you. Mm. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it literally means, um, I'm looking it up in Bauer here, but an, inter, an interjection denoting pain or displeasure. Mm. So it, it's a, um, you know, there, there may be further nuance to it that I'm unaware of, but yeah. it's a, as straightforward as it comes, pain is coming to you. It's not good. No. It's not, it's not, not fun. I mean, there's... Not at all. The seven woes in Revelation in my book, which are um, terrible. They're not good. Uh, so, yeah. Um, well, yeah. what is your... I mean, I, I think it's safe to say it's obvious that we want to avoid... I mean, this this is a... Do you think there's potential maybe that I'm missing to preach this anybody to preach a, a works-based gospel from this text actually um, by saying uh, what you alluded to in your sermon last week from the Sermon on the Mount, you have to have a perfection higher than the Pharisees and that this is just a message about not being hypocrites and kind of going all the way with your obedience. Yeah, my, my, I, one thing that I'm, I'm, I try to help the congregation see is that and even just Bible readers, even when we're just doing a small group Bible study, is that our tendency is to put ourselves in the shoes of the heroes. Mm-hmm. So I, when I read this passage, I want to say Jesus is, get, is getting the Pharisees, and I hope he continues to get the Pharisees. Yes, stick yeah. it to them, because yeah. look at what they are. My job, my goal in this sermon, I think, is to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's look at what the Pharisees are condemned for. And once we see what the Pharisees are condemned for, now let's look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Can't we see a little bit of that in us mm-hmm. too? Because I mean, think about it. Like, and and when you walk through this passage, it it it's it seems that the the woes are paired up mm-hmm. with a remaining seventh woe. I mean, at least they're very, very close. Mm-hmm. So, like, for instance, woe one is um, they shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and they don't know how to enter themselves. Mm-hmm. But then woe two is they make a proselyte, and they make him twice as much a child of hell as themselves because they don't know how to get into heaven themselves, mm-hmm. which is very similar to what he just said in 13. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 16 and 17 are similar, and 20 and uh, and. Uh, sorry, I, I said the verse number, but the the woe three and four are very similar. Uh, woe five and six are very similar. There's hypocrisy on the inside, and then there's the last remaining woe that they have they have uh, aligned themselves with those who ridicule the righteous, hmm. and uh, which has been true of Israel for a long time. Hmm. And so it seems like they're paired up. Well, when you kind of really break those down, you look at somebody who has. Um, zeal without real knowledge, without true saving knowledge. You have someone who is valuing the second woe and third woe, or th- sorry, third woe and fourth woe, valuing the earthly and devaluing the eternal. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who is uh, in the fifth woe and sixth woe, righteous, only skin deep, that 
they want to keep up the appearance of righteousness, but on the inside mm-hmm. are not, um, or have no desire at all mm-hmm. for the Lord. And then the fifth is is really kind of um, detesting the righteous. And the kind of the way I see that now is even just the people that you know that are that are that love the Lord and are are constantly uh, uplifting. And and the sometimes the feeling that you get where you're like. Oh, I don't want to hear that right now, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and so like we all of these that he's condemning the Pharisees for. I I, I recognize in my own life, mm-hmm. I have to see that in my own life mm-hmm. that man. Sometimes I do value the earthly over the eternal. Uh, you know, sometimes I do care more about the righteousness that 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 appears to people on the outside, but then inside. What am I really doing in the home, and what am I really doing in my my life? You know, um, or you know, str- straining gnats and swallowing camels, and, mm-hmm. and those things that the Pharisees are guilty of are, are so common mm-hmm. to us. And how we can't put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus, looking at the Pharisees and going, "Yeah, get them." Mm-hmm. We need to put ourselves sho- in the shoes of the Pharisees, going, "I need to be careful lest I'm also after preaching." You know, I come up short, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think it's so, um, there's a lot of weight to that. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it, it sets you up for the gospel in a way it seems like you're saying where you, you're like, I, I, I'm, by the end, if we're not, if we're not, we've got to be sick of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We've got to read this and go, gosh, I just, I, I thought I was killing it this week with my righteousness and, you know, buying people Starbucks and stuff, you know, in line. But, mm. man, when I really look like this, it's it's heavy. It's hard. Well, I've, I've tentatively titled the sermon Judgment All Around hmm. uh, just because he I, – I want us to see that he's laying waste to – the Jewish system as a whole yeah. through the leadership, yeah. you know, but then the judgment is really spread all around to anybody who would fall under that same spell mm-hmm. of religion that the Pharisees have fallen under mm-hmm. that, y- that the judgment is for you too. And it's for me too. And that every single one of us, I, I- I'll tell you this. If you ask the, a random stranger to tell you the gospel, 99 times out of 100, you're going to hear something other than the gospel. Mm-hmm. And most of those will profess to be Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on where you are, mm-hmm. many of them will profess to be Christians and will still not give you the gospel. Mm-hmm. Because the the default position for us is to be just like the Pharisees, where we we want to determine what, what righteousness really is for ourselves. And then it find a way of excluding everyone else from it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, th- this is righteousness, and you don't meet it. And we'll, you know, kind of navigate the definition of righteousness around all of our own little mistakes and our own little sins and our own little things and go, well, we'll find ways of justifying that, why that doesn't keep us out of the kingdom mm-hmm. of heaven. But really, the judgment is spread all around. You know, it's 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 for everybody that falls under the same spell, anyone that is trusting in their own abilities to be saved and not solely in the work that Christ has done for us on the cross is condemned. Yeah. And the judgment is for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. 
have a I have a, a question about how you're going to handle the uh, the last few verses in your section, um, because last week you were kind of nudging me, saying maybe your text is a big too big of a chunk, and then uh, I, I ended up preaching a, <laughs> two sermons in one passage, <laughs> <laughs> a last minute choice there. Um, but I am this, not a prophet, nor the son of a yeah, prophet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, this last the last few sentences where he's talking about um, the the prophets, you build the tombs of the prophets, you decorate the mountains of the righteous, saying, "If we lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets." And then Jesus really hits home and tells them to fill up the measure of your fathers and what they did. Um, then he comes down in verse 35, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the righteous, the blood of righteous Abel and the blood of Zechariah and the son of Berechiah, whom you, I assume he's speaking to them in conjunction with the fathers, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. That seems like a lot of Old yeah. Testament, those three Old Testament names. you got the sanctuary, the altar. They've been murdered there. I see Christ, cross, images potentially in the location. How, do you, how are you going to handle that uh, biblically, theologically, and even just time-wise? Yeah, I think the um, the last part about the Old Testament characters is relatively straightforward. What he's saying that uh, Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, is murdered between the the sanctuary and the altar. Uh, in, that's a reference into back into Second Chronicles, which Second Chronicles twenty four twenty to twenty two is the reference, and and he um, that uh, that event is the last. Uh, martyrdom or martyr in the uh, in the in the Jewish Old Testament hmm. and Abel being the first and so he's he's basically linking wow. them so the whole the whole 29 to 36 it looks really complicated I think yeah but it, it's actually really pretty straightforward what he's saying they're saying about themselves the Pharisees and the Sadducees or the Pharisees and the scribes are saying about themselves, we wouldn't have done what our fathers have done. Right, right. And then he says, and he says, fill up then the measure of your fathers. And then he goes on to tell them about how they're going to crucify him. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um, he, he's he's making the argument, you, because of your, because of everything I've just said, are connected with your fathers and you're one and the same with them. Mm. You're guilty right along with them. You've done the same things they've mm. done. Yet you say you won't do those things. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to. Yep. You're going to kill and crucify. You're going to prosecute. You're going to persecute in the synagogues. You're going to. You're going to do this. Yep. So they're going to crucify him, and then they're going to. Well, and, and then they're going to, you know, persecute the disciples and his prophets that go out yeah. after him. Yeah. And so he he's kind of making a transition. God sent you prophets, and now I'm going to send you prophets, and you're still going to crucify and and maim all of us. Proving that you are filling up then the measure of your fathers. You're equating yourself with the fathers. Mm. And because you are equal to your forefathers, you are guilty of every martyr from Abel to Zechariah. 
So basically, you're guilty of the whole Old Testament, everything from first to last. I don't think I ever I think realized how how damning that section was until you just explained it like yeah. that. Yeah, that's that's terrifying. Um, you know, and it's it's also it's also too. Uh, there's a there's a federal headship idea mm-hmm. here too, of you are connected to their sins. You're guilty of all them as well. Well, it it and made me think about. I can't remember where is it. Paul talks about filling up the sufferings of Christ. Is that Colossians or yeah? I don't. I can't remember. But I thought that. Well, that phrase. It that phrase made sense to me in Matthew. There it made me think about that and made it think about if we are going yeah. to follow in with Christ, we're going to be living out all the sufferings that go with Him. Yeah, I, I think it's a similar thing that, that Paul is saying, and, and I haven't done necessarily the work to connect the two, so I probably shouldn't just jump out yeah, there and no, say and that. Yeah, no, I just, I feel like that's it, what I, I thought of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, feel, I feel like it is saying a very similar thing, that I'm showing my connection, my uh, relationship to the former by doing the same works that they do. And that proves yeah. that I am connected to them. It'd be interesting you know, if that is a similar kind of phrase and meaning just how opposite the the Pharisees are killing and flogging and persecuting the prophets. Meanwhile, the followers of Christ are filling up the sufferings of Christ. I mean, it just goes right back to the Sermon on the Mount. It goes right back to the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. How, how opposite yep. this is. Um, man, it, it it's I want to listen to the sermon already. What do you think is the yeah, significance of one last question? The sanctuary and the altar. You murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Is there meaning behind that location that you'll try to hit on? Uh, not other than that's literally where it takes place, where the martyring of of Zechariah takes place um i think it might be helpful to probably read um then the spirit of god this is from uh second chronicles mm-hmm. um t- uh, 24 20 to 22 the spirit of god clothed zechariah the son of jehoiada the priest and he stood above the people and said to them thus says god why do you break the commandments of the lord so that you cannot prosper because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. Hmm. But they conspired against him, and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Hmm. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness of Jehoiada. Zechariah's father had shown him, but killed him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, "May the Lord see and avenge." So he kills him there in the house of the Lord, and that's the the explanation is between the, is that, the altar. Is that Zechariah the uh, the book Zechariah, same Zechariah, the prophet. No, no, different Zechariah. Okay, two different places here. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. So, I'm looking forward to hearing yeah. it. Yeah, sounds good. All right. So your passage this week. Is passage this week is the same one I was doing passage. last week. <laughs> <laughs> so we're done. So uh, yeah. See, see, no, see. No. Last week. Uh, no, I'm doing the same thing, but I'm gonna be. Last week I focused uh, in Revelation 1, 9 through 20. I focused heavily on John being persecuted uh, on the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Christ and our participation with him, the participation of the seven churches with him. Uh, I really 
kind of glazed over uh, that incredible vision of Christ that he has, where he sees Jesus with the flaming eyes, the feet of bronze, the sword coming out of his mouth. Um, I, I, I commented on it, tried to speak to it as a whole unit, but I didn't unpack it at all. So what I'm doing this week is going back to that vision and saying, now we're going to unpack this. What in the world does this vision mean detail by detail? And uh, really just the goal is to hold Christ up in all of his glory and what that means through Scripture. And I think the aim is that we would be encouraged and jealous for our place with Christ um, and continue. Uh, be encouraged to continue on giving the account of God's word and the testimony of Christ. That's pretty much it. So, so when you preach a passage, is this so? Is this the first time you've ever preached the same passage a second time back to back? Um, I don't think so, but it's not common for me, for sure. So, how do you, or do you feel the need to combat? anyone's sense of like I've heard this before or we were here last week oh man no way I feel like every text I've ever preached I could come back and preach it two or three weeks in a row and and just like the rest of us when we all study the Bible we see the same passage over and over and over and we still go oh man I I didn't even see that before I didn't even uh, anyone who's read their Bible four days in a row knows that you you it's a sponge we just keep getting more out of. Um, so I don't feel worried about that. I think the concern would be, am I just kind of preaching the same sermon, the same point? Um, and I, I'm not I'm not worried about that. Um, I, I actually think that the way it was handled last week, that my hope would be there's people in our congregation going, hey, he didn't even tell us what the double-edged sword means he, he didn't even tell us what the yeah. fire of flame means and they're they're going when is he going to tell us what all this means and when are we going to make these connections I, I think that might be actually what i hope would be the case so is this going to be kind of the decoding sermon more more or less i don't know how to put it that's probably a terrible way of phrasing it but um is this going to be the kind of like break it down okay here here's what that is related to and here's why he says that yes that yeah it's going to be like that but here's what i think is interesting the one of my illustrations is to try to explain what john's doing one of the helpful things is actually that most of the commentators that I've read, four or five that I've put together this week, maybe more, there is general consensus on what John's using from the Old Testament in order to describe what he's seeing. So he's using Old Testament language to describe what he's seeing in, in this vision. And the commentators generally tend to agree. This comes from Exodus, it comes from Daniel, it comes from Zechariah, it comes from these these texts. But there's also a ton of nuance, and some commentators will pick up different passages that others didn't pick up. And I think what I'm learning is this is not like uh, the, the string of fulfillments in Matthew 1 through 3, where Matthew is saying this passage was fulfilled on this day when this happened, that it's not that kind of fulfillment, that what... What John is doing 
is really just sweeping up a whole collective picture of who Christ is using Old Testament language that points both to the coming Son of Man, like in Daniel 7, but also to God himself throughout uh, much of the Old Testament. So I've kind of, tell me what you think about this, if this is a accurate or helpful illustration. But when I go across the border down into Mexico, I remember some more Spanish than I did in Texas for sure. But I can, even what I can't remember, there will be times when I can pick up words because it's uh, two Latin-based languages, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll hear like the word... Uh, cognates. You hear cognates exactly. from the other So language. I'll hear yeah. like uh, uh, unificar in Spanish, and I'll hear unify in English, and those aren't, they sound enough alike that I go, I think that's what that's talking about. I think that, I think they're talking about unity. Um, it has that kind of connotation. And I think that that's kind of what John's doing in this section of Revelation. Be really careful in this vision. That he borrows from so many things that, that are even repeated through the Old Testament, right? So if you got the, um, the, the feet of bronze... Um, or if you've got the golden sash with the robe, that doesn't just show up in one place in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it picks up the, the priesthood theme beginning in Exodus 25 and 28. So I, I think John's doing that kind of description, saying this is the kind of man that Jesus is. And he's borrowing a lot of Old Testament language from multiple passages to create that that image so that it's not necessarily well, let's all turn to Daniel and see how this is exactly like Daniel it is but it doesn't stop there so it's creating a, a really big magnificent it, it's a lot of biblical theology for John in just a little paragraph when he sees Christ I don't know if that do you think that helps or does that make sense even yeah no I do I really do and I, I it makes me wonder um the so this Sunday is going to be on the calendar Palm Sunday, yeah, and the week after is going to be Resurrection Sunday, and so it makes me curious because I, obviously all of what you're preaching can easily be connected to the events of Resurrection Sunday. But everything we preach every Sunday yeah, yeah. should be connected to the events of Resurrection Sunday for sure, but. I'm I'm wondering if you feel the need at all to in any way connect your passage that you either do this coming Sunday or the next to the either of those events or you know the, do you do you look at the calendar at all when it comes to those kinds of things and how you're going to end up preaching this passage Yeah I I would like to have that discussion in full next week as we're coming into mm-hmm. Easter like um, because yeah. I'm breaking from Revelation, and I think you said you're going to be preaching in Matthew. Yeah. So I think I think that'd be helpful to talk about, uh, even yeah, for my own self, just to think about that. But in one sense, every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Uh, we don't just celebrate the resurrection on Easter. We do that every Sunday. Uh, the the facets mm-hmm. of the gospel are there every Sunday in uh, in the sermon, and I think that's because. Uh, we might have talked about this before, but that's what Jesus does in Luke 24. The Psalms and the mm-hmm. prophets and Moses, they all talk about me. And so 
yeah, so this week, I, I don't know. I don't feel that. I don't feel the calendar pressing me into a corner. Um, but I do think it could be useful that uh, a lot of people uh, will and should, and I think it'd be helpful for me to bring up the triumphal entry and put us into the calendar going into Easter. And I, something that I've already thought is, you know, we is we the picture of Jesus coming in uh, on the donkey, fulfilling scripture, mm-hmm. the the meek, the mild, conquering king. And mm-hmm. then we've got this picture of Jesus with the sword coming mm-hmm. out of his mouth and his eyes on fire. Yeah. And I, I think that I will try to draw attention to that. Um, contradiction is the wrong word, but those, both of those. Juxtaposition. Right. Yeah. That paradox. Both of those pictures of Jesus. Um, in order to show that what makes the cross and what makes Christ so wonderful and what makes grace so incredible is that this fiery-eyed, you know, killing you with his mouth, unimaginable king rode in on a donkey and gave his life yeah. on the cross for you. That that's And that was the reason why I asked the question because you had said this is the kind of man Jesus is. John's describing this. Right. You know, this is the kind of man he is. Right. And I'm thinking Palm Sunday, the last time they saw the kind of man he was, right. he was riding in on a on the foal of a donkey. Right. N- you know, yeah. not even on a donkey. And according to Matthew, a donkey so young that if his mama wasn't there, they were going to be in trouble. <laughs> and so they got both of them, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so Jesus is riding on this foal of a donkey, you know, meek and mild and humble. Mm gentle and lowly as he's described in Matthew's gospel and and now you I mean on Palm Sunday how fortuitous is that yeah like you know it's almost like you know this is like the triumphal entry yeah you know into the into the book of Revelation yeah is yeah but this is a real it's not an ironic triumphal entry yeah. this is a real triumph triumphal entry you know? yeah it's a it's a little and, bit of the lion and the lamb kind of picture yeah. you know all, all of who Christ is and yeah I think that to me that last week that was one of the things that encouraged me most um, was in this passage we, we did show that last week we mentioned that without going to the triumphal entry text itself or even the idea but that this this son of God is the one who is also saying I died and I've uh risen I live forevermore and that the gospel doesn't wow us or doesn't make sense until we see that Jesus was God but he did not consider consider his divinity a thing to be grasped but became uh, came a man came in the form of a servant even obedient to the point of dying on the cross that we see all that power wrapped up in this servanthood to die for us on the cross that that is it's beautiful and I, I think I think even if the, I'm to be careful here. I, I just think anyone who hears that, I don't know how, except for God's sovereignty, you can't hear that and go, "That's beautiful. That's 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 glorious," um, because that's the very nature and character of God. Uh, so yeah, I, I love that. So even just what you just said that that sort of. Uh, those two 
seemingly competing images in our mind. You have never seen a king die for his people. Yeah. We've never seen that. Yeah. The people die for the king. Yeah. And and yet he he describes himself he says in at the end of 17 fear not for i'm the first and the last and the living one i i take that to mean and i don't know correct me here but like eternally living one i would assume mm-hmm. but here's the you know it comes in at the in middle of 18 i died yeah and behold i'm alive forevermore yeah like that there's that juxtaposition again. Yeah. You know, I die. That's like, that is, you know, the triumphal entry. That is Resurrection Sunday. That is, you know, yeah. right there. I died. And, that is Jesus on a donkey. And you also have in, in the passage what is just, you know, raise the hair on the back of your neck is that John is using some things that were used only to say of God in the Old Testament. So coming with, you know, the son of man, coming with the clouds, that's what Jesus said when they were, when they asked if he was the Christ um, at his uh, uh, trial before the chief priest, Jesus says, uh, I am, and you will see me coming with the clouds, which was to them a clear claim that this man thinks he is with God, one with God and is God. Mm-hmm. And they called it blasphemy. Mm-hmm. And you get these little hints in there, these little, these little things that kind of make you go, "What?" In in my passage, um, the coming with the clouds is actually the passage before this one, but in this one, the hair white as wool like snow comes from the passage in Daniel seven, which is before the passage that describes the Son of Man, and it's the passage describing God on His throne. And so, and then you call, and then you call Jesus the one who. Uh, lives forever and you call Jesus the one who was the beginning and the end and you're like these are things that are reserved for God and yet th- that language is sprinkled in there uh, with him as a man and it's mm-hmm. so it's it's just a it's kind of uh, it's nuanced but it's kind of like you, you have to you have to admit that these things this is not just a man uh, yeah. this is God I, I, every, when I'm reading this and I'm hearing you talk about it, I think I keep the the voice or the words that keep ringing in my ears are from John's gospel where he's describing the word becoming flesh mm-hmm. and dwelling among us. And he says, and we beheld his glory as of the only mm-hmm. begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Oh, you know what? I'm going to use that in this week. I might even give you credit. <laughs> I might even say I was talking I, to Michael this week and he reminded me of John which does the same don't. kind of thing <laughs> but it, it just it, those words you know every time I've read that in John yeah um, in John's gospel I've always it's almost hear the tears in his eyes yeah as he's as he's making an impassioned plea to those that he's writing to yeah you have to understand, I know this man. I know him. I've met him. I lived with him for three and a half years. Yeah. I know who he was. Hmm. You know, we saw we saw a person humble and riding on a donkey. Yeah. Yet in the midst of that, 
we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Yeah. And 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 so now John is is like refreshing that image almost mm-hmm. to the churches of let me tell you about the only begotten of the Father. Let me tell you about this this man. And and so I guess that that then it makes me want to ask a question: Is what purpose does this text serve? for the rest of the book of Revelation or even the immediate context. Well, that's a great question that we haven't even tapped into and in that in the next section, the seven letters to the seven churches, um, Jesus introduces himself as one of the components from this passage. So like at the beginning of each letter, you'll have something from chapter 1 verses 12 through 16. Uh, Let me get there. I'll just glance at it. So, like, for example, take Ephesus. The angel of the church in Ephesus wrote the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. And then in Smyrna, uh, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died, who came to life. In Pergamum, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. To Thyatira, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze, and I've got a, I've got a, a numbers document working right now, that's showing. <laughs> this is going to get complicated, so let's see if you can stick with me. That's showing <laughs> the different aspects of John's vision in one twelve through sixteen, how they are used specifically to match each church's crisis and even the themes that they pick up in the garden each one of them so for example in Ephesus it's clear in Ephesus it's clear as day um, the seven golden lampstands those in ex- in Exodus were commissioned to be designed in garden language in garden terms uh, to look like trees and vines. And then at the end of the word to Ephesus, it is, um, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Mm. So, I mean, there's way more biblical theology and exegesis than I'll do this week uh, in my sermon, much less in preparation. Um, or vice versa in preparation, much less in my sermon, but that I'm looking forward to the letters, which I'm going to be preaching one at a time and and drawing that out. It draws this specific thing from Christ at the, at the front of the letter, and it ends the letter with this specific promise that correlates to that nature of Christ and uh, really is the hopeful answer for that church's crisis. It's it's fascinating. So... For, so- as an example for Ephesus, then, if I'm tracking with you, um, then in in one twelve, then I turn and s- to see the voice of the one speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and he so he's in the midst of the lampstands, basically, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the high priest of the lampstands. Yes, and so then Ephesus is to understand that faithfulness to Christ results in the one who stands and has the authority to grant you to live amongst the tree of life will do it. So you adhering to Christ, you believing in Christ and worshiping him and not falling prey to these temptations and trials 
is, results in eternal life, and the proof of that is the one who's granting you eternal life walks among the lampstands. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Something like that, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Ish. Um. I mean, it's, it's still, I'm still discovering, and I'm still, yeah. some of these things I saw the first time I read through Revelation, some of these things I'm only seeing now that I'm preaching this text this week. Um, and uh, seeing it now, I'm thinking, too, is going to be probably years of unpacking. Um, you know, I, I think it's taken me years of preaching through Ezekiel and Exodus and uh, Psalms and prophets to be able to pick up Revelation. And I think anyone can pick up Revelation and understand it. So I'm getting it. But in a real authoritative hey, this is how Revelation fits with the Bible, it, it, it takes time. So I, I think I'm just now tapping into something I'll, I hope to be studying for a while, and since we're going to be in the letters one at a time, I think it'll give me the time for the next seven weeks after Easter to sit in that and, and keep digging for treasures even deeper. Yeah, it seems like that this passage is in some way John's preparation for the churches not only for what they're about to hear yeah. which i think is what you you're kind of alluding to yeah. that we're going to get to but that they're also being prepared for tribulation and for trial right 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 so then how is this passage and seeing jesus this way a preparation for us to to face persecution well, or trial what's in, tribulation what's interesting is the passage it, the the vision of the Son of Man, I think it's it could be easy to preach it in terms of, okay, look how great Jesus is. He's going to come get the bad guys, which mm-hmm. we we see the triumphal entry won't let us think that way. Jesus, that that's not the only form of Jesus that we see, much less the fact that we're the bad guys. But Jesus is coming, he's speaking to the seven churches with authority. And the first, one of the things he says to Ephesus is, if, uh, if you will not repent, then I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So I think Jesus wants them to see him like this in order that the churches themselves revere and fear Jesus and treasure being in his presence, considering him the, the high priest in the heavenly uh, temple, thinking of thinking of Hebrews, and that they would in turn revere his word, which in each church would turn to some repentance or continued faithfulness. So then, do you see that as like, so your audience that you're going to be preaching to yeah. is, you know, the average American audience, yeah, pretty much. Sure. Um, I mean, my church is not average, who, but yeah, you said that, not me. My <laughs> church is awesome. Um, yes. So, uh, so they're they're hearing this, uh-huh. and how do you how do you get the American audience to feel? the kind of preparation this is if this is preparing someone to to endure tribulation yeah and they're an american who is going to go home and 
eat at you know Luby's on on the way home or whatever. Yeah. I hope not, but but you know, <laughs> we've got way but, too many good restaurants in Austin to be going yeah, to Luby's. You're, yeah, you're in Austin. They're gonna go to a taco truck. Yeah, they're yeah. gonna eat food from a taco <laughs> truck, and then they're gonna go to Terry Terry Blacks <laughs> or something, and then they're gonna go home. Yeah, and and so and there's no persecution that's gonna come to them. Yeah. You know how do you how do you give them the gravity? Because John's audience is literally going through it, and and they're reading this, and and that's an incredible encouragement. Well, that's the to know that that's this the is argument Jesus. that I made last week in my sermon that two, twofold. One, for the last several weeks, we've been explaining that persecution is normal to the church universally in time and globe, and that we are not we are not unique to that. We have not discovered um, in a, a, a situation where we will not face any hardship because we are Christian. We didn't. It wasn't a hundred years ago, and it's not today. So we've been talking about that over the weeks, um, going back into January, before we even got into Revelation. I spent some time talking in a preaching series on evangelism, um, just how uh, opposed to the church and its message our culture is becoming. So making aware of that, but really on an individual level, America is still a wonderful, amazing, free nation where if you want to be a Christian and be quiet, no one will bother you. So this really does speak to the question of, are you talking to anyone in any way about about Christ? And is there is there any discomfort anywhere you go because uh, because of of Christ? And so, yeah, I think that's something we talked about last week. I probably won't address this week, but that this is encouragement. And I think that the reason is sometimes it can seem like if we're not care- we're, we're talking to um, we're not talking to guys on the front lines. We're talking to a bunch of guys back home, going, "Hey, don't worry, we're going to win this." And they're all going, "Hey, I I wasn't even that afraid. You know, I wasn't even that worried about it." Um, but yeah, if we if we are speaking sharing then we'll 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 come into the opposition and feel the pain of persecution at some point for sure well what i think is is fascinating about where revelation is going and is that the not all the churches are being condemned because of persecution some of them are condemned because of their affinity for wealth oh yeah um like laodicea you know yeah. i mean Ooh, yeah, that's the, a, the Laodicea that's, is a fiery one. That's where I was going. The, the, yeah. I got distracted. The the seven letters are Jesus talking to them really heavily. Almost reminds me of um, somewhat of the Pharisee passage in the sense that Jesus isn't only coming in saying, "Hey, I'm here to save you, righteous people, from the bad guys." He's coming in saying, "Unless you turn from your sin." churches your lampstand is going to be removed Mm. and so this image of jesus the fiery eyes and the bronze that's not like me standing behind jesus as he attacks the world that's jesus's eyes looking at me Mm. and am i going to be faithful to him that's how that gets turned i don't say turned but that's that's how that's how that is used in the letters. All those incredible, fearful aspects of Christ, they show up in the letters where Jesus is calling the church to continue in faithfulness or to repent of sin. Yeah. 
it, 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 I think the way you're approaching it where this connects to all seven letters is helpful in that when you get to all of those letters, you're going to have to go back to this passage almost yeah, for seven every, every time. weeks. And I think yeah, the way and it's so that that's helpful to kind of see because you know your guy your guy your your guy who you know works his you know one hundred fifty thousand dollar a year engineering job or whatever, and uh, and goes to work Monday through Saturday and comes on Sunday and has never seen a drop of persecution his entire life. He is going to be forced to understand when you get to Laodicea that affinity for wealth is a trial. Yeah, like wealth is a trial. Yeah, and you don't. You don't see it that way, but wealth is a trial, and Jesus is with his piercing eyes looking at you. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's good. All right, I'm gonna bring up yeah. uh, my quote from Spurgeon for the week. Yeah. Um, you know, Yuna has said one of the things that we hope to do in this, in bringing our conversation that we just have ourselves, that we want to bring it on. Why? Why bring it on? Um, onto a podcast. One of the things we talked about was that we would hope that other brothers would be encouraged to have similar conversations with other pastors in their area. Or you and I met in college. You live in Tuscaloosa, but praise God for technology to keep up. And this is mm-hmm. this is from Spurgeon's chapter on the minister's fainting fits. Does that sound familiar? Have you read that? Uh, it seems like I have. Have you read I Spurgeon's lecture to my students or any of it? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Um, it's not all, it's not all perfectly biblical. Um, Thanks for making me feel ashamed. But yeah, oh no, you know. no, I mean no, no shame. I mean, <laughs> some people read books, some listen to podcasts. I mean, I, I, you know, what yeah. do you know? I watch, I watch movies. <laughs> the movies are always better. <laughs> so this have they made have they made lectures to my students to do a movie yet? I don't think so. Sorry, man. Oh well. <laughs> Okay. Let me know. This is this is called the minister's fainting fits, and it's um, on troubles and discouragements that are unique to pastoral ministry. And I'm gonna this is a bit of a paragraph, so hang tight and, and listen. Okay, a minister fully equipped for his work will usually be a spirit by himself, above, beyond, and apart from others. The most loving of his people cannot enter into his his peculiar thoughts, cares, and temptations. In the ranks, men walk shoulder to shoulder with many comrades, but as the officer rises in rank, men of his standing are fewer in number. There are many soldiers, few captains, fewer colonels, but only one commander-in-chief. So in our churches, the man whom the Lord raises as a leader becomes, in the same degree in which he is a superior man, a solitary man. The mountaintops stand solemnly apart and talk only with God as he visits their terrible solitudes. Men of God who rise above their fellows into nearer communion with heavenly things in their weaker moments feel the lack of human sympathy. Like their Lord in Gethsemane, they look in vain for comfort to the disciples sleeping around him. They are shocked at the apathy that their little band of brethren and return to their secret agony with all the heavier burden pressing upon them because they have found their dearest companions slumbering. No one knows but he who has endured it, the solitude of a soul who has outstripped its fellows in zeal for the Lord of hosts. It dares not reveal itself lest men count it mad. It cannot conceal itself for a fire burns within its bones. 
Only before the Lord does it find rest. Our Lord's sending out his disciples by two and two manifested that he knew what was in men. But for such a man as Paul, it seems to me that no helpmeet was found. Barnabas or Silas or Luke were hills too low to hold high converse with such a Himalayan summit as the apostle of the Gentiles. This loneliness, which, I, which if I mistake not is felt by many of my brethren, is a fertile source of depression. And our ministers' fraternal meetings and the cultivation of holy intercourse with kindred minds will, with God's blessing, help us greatly escape this snare. So in short, Spurgeon has just said, uh, you know, I think this could bring up conversation about plurality of elders, but he's basically saying the pastor's role can be a really lonely place. And mm. having another pastor to have, quote, fraternal meetings with, to talk with, will help us greatly escape the snare of depression. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. That is wonderful. I find that and so true. true. So true. Um, I think a lot of weeks that you and I and many other brothers are talking about our sermons and talking about the text, it helps me in my own soul, not just technically like a, like a classroom, but it encourages me as if someone gets me and someone gets mm-hmm. the struggle and it, it deeply encourages. Yeah. It's hard to explain how the, the burden of the text is always on you yeah and how you you feel this it's not just get to the point of the text and then get up there and tell people what the point is but that you want them to grasp it in every aspect it's you want them to grasp it emotionally you want them to grasp it intellectually you want them to grasp it in every capacity and you've got a handful of minutes to do that in Mm -hmm. you know and uh what a what a it's it's a it's a worrisome feeling mm-hmm. that you're gonna you're gonna fail on one of those fronts, mm-hmm. you know, on any one of those fronts. Yeah. And you know, you preach it intellectually, and it's too boring. You preach it emotionally, and it's it's you know vacuous. And so you you just you feel that constantly. Yeah. And um and it is good to sit down and kind of look at it with somebody else from every angle to talk about it be asked questions and forced to answer those questions and think through them maybe for the first time you know um it's incredibly helpful yeah and it helps prepare for preaching for sure yeah and not going on any further in Spurgeon but I think to be only to, to be really really alone truly alone I don't talk to anyone I don't I don't have elders beside me, and I don't have friends to talk to through what's going on in my church or even my own preaching. Not only is that a, a difficult place, that's a dangerous place to be. Uh, you are sure. you become extremely prone um, to all kinds of discouragement, pride. Um, so, yeah, I'm thankful for our friendship, and thankful for the podcast, thankful to be talking about these things. Yeah, and you know, for the, especially for those, I mean, I know there's there's got to be pastors out there, even that might be listening here, that would be just so deeply isolated, mm-hmm. and uh, how important that is to reach out to someone, whether it even be a member of your church or yeah. you know, a, a 
you know, someone that, that can just listen, uh, even a, a good biblical counselor to, mm-hmm. to just be able to sit down and Absolutely. just uh, talk with about some of the things that are going on and to know that, yeah. you know, it's weird. It's weird to say, you know, digitally, we're not alone, you know, yeah. uh, that, that there are many people out there that feel what you feel and, and go through what you go through and, yeah. and those kinds of things. And, and to bring it back full circle, COVID makes all of that worse oh, yeah. and has just amplified so much of that. Yep. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really important, but I'm, I'm grateful for our friendship and, and grateful that we can even just sit down and do this. Like I said, we do this even if we don't record it. So, yep. uh, it's, it's helpful. It's certainly helpful for me. So I'm excited to hear your sermon and, and excited to preach. Yep. So Same here, man. I guess we'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.